Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Freddie. And I'm Rachel. And this is the New Statesman's Politics Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the King's speech, Charles's first address to Parliament as King, and the measures he laid out. Hello, I'm Anoush Kellyan, Britain editor at the New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have Rachel Wearmouth, our deputy political editor, and Freddie Haywood, our politics correspondent. We're recording a day earlier than usual on a Wednesday, and this is the day after the King's speech. Um, and this is a sort of ceremonial tradition where the monarch, now King Charles, outlines the government's priorities at the beginning of the parliamentary session. Um, and it's quite strange because he sort of reads a speech out that's not his own. It, it's, it's yeah, he says, "My him. government will do this. Yeah. My ministers will do this." And so he's got to maintain this sort of strange, slightly detached, neutral expression, hasn't he? Because he can't show any disdain or enthusiasm for any of the policies that... Yeah, he looked filled with disdain through the whole thing, I thought. (laughs) So he was trying not to be too enthusiastic or critical in his voice, but he just came across as... Uh, regal disappointment, I think. Right, and, and or, or, or a resting bitch face, if you, yeah. want, if you want to take another <laughs> point of view. I thought it was funny in your piece, Freddie, because you said that actually you could tell there was a slight dismissal of one of the uh, pieces of legislation that was announced, which was to award annually licenses for oil and gas drilling in the North Sea. Yeah, well, I said if, if one were looking for signs of disapproval, then they could perhaps have seen some... Uh, some there, but, you know, the king basically fulfilled his duty without any protest. Mm -hmm. I do think he would have had perhaps some concerns about uh, the policy on extending oil and gas licences. Of course, we never know, and I think everyone was just looking for that, but it just spoke to the fact that you had the contrast between this new king who's been waiting uh, 70 years to deliver this uh, speech, and then you've also got this aging, old, decrepit government that's sort of fighting <laughs> into its last year. I think there was a there was a there was a contrast then. I think he might have been slightly happier if he was announcing the programme of a, a new, fresh Labour government. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because he did deliver the speech last year in place of the Queen, yeah. or last session in place of the Queen. We never knew really what her true political opinions were, whereas we know so much about what Charles believes and what his preoccupations are and where he stands. You know, we know what how he feels about the Rwanda policy, for example, like yeah. specific things that he said before he became king. And now, you know, he, he keeps it slightly more under wraps. But we know more about this monarch's own personal opinions than we've ever known. Yeah, I think that's right. And then, you know, the same would go for, for example, for Justin Welby. You'd never have somebody like mm-hmm. the Archbishop necessarily coming out against the um, Rwanda policy in the in the past. They would probably have kept a little bit of difference. Obviously, very different kettle of fish when it comes to the actual monarch and the head of state. Everyone was kind of looking for a, a sign yesterday, as they used to do with, with the, the Queen before before her death. You know, people, there's that famous front page, Queen backs Brexit, which caused yeah. such a huge row at the time because the monarch's obviously not supposed to have any opinion whatsoever and there's supposed to be this 
huge separation. But yeah, everyone was looking intently and I think, yeah, he probably maintained the same kind of stoic position <laughs> that, that um, his mother did, really. I think the palace have been briefing over the past six months or so that the king recognises that he can no longer be so explicit in his opinions now that he's king yeah. uh, and he's quite happy to support the government in what he's doing and, and change what he's doing. Uh, I mean, I think he's been supposedly thrilled that he's opening the COP28 conference at Dubai because he can obviously speak about his environmental activism, but then he has to go home and do this as well. So I think, yeah, there's a bit of a contradiction there, but the palace have been briefing at least to the royal editors around Fleet Street that he's very happy with the current setup. Yeah, okay. Let's see what he actually announced. Uh, There wasn't anything that new or groundbreaking. Um, Around a third of the legislation was actually carried over from the last session. So it's stuff that we've heard before. 16 out of the 21 bills were new. And here are the main ones. I'm not going to go through all of them, but we mentioned the offshore petroleum licensing bill to award um, oil and gas project licenses in the North Sea each year. Um, The leasehold and freehold bill, which is sort of a long awaited reform, will ban leaseholds for new houses in England and Wales, not flats, which is slightly disappointing to some of the campaigners on this issue. Um, But it will also increase the um, uh, standard lease extension. It will make it cheaper and easier for any leaseholder, existing leaseholder, to renew, extend their lease. Uh, The renters' reform bill, which is already at committee stage in the Commons anyway, um, but that will ban no-fault evictions after reforms to the court system. So that's still delayed. Um, A tobacco and vapes bill will enact the plans announced at conference um, for a phased ban on smoking. And it also includes some restrictions on vape packaging and marketing as well. And then there's this football governance bill, which would regulate the top five leagues of professional football in England. A sentencing bill, which was the thing that they sort of led on in terms of their briefing ahead of the King's speech, Mm -hmm. meaning whole life sentences for the worst murderers and uh, prohibiting rapists from being released early and a criminal justice bill reforming some court procedures, you know, trying to force criminals to appear in the dock at sentencing um, and other reforms. Um, so those are sort of the main ones. There are plenty more. Um, but I'd like to know what struck you about, you know, what, what the announcements were, Rachel. I think the one that the Conservative Prime Minister is going to have a lot of trouble with is the smoking measures, as in with his own backbenchers. You know, there'll be many who are quite libertarian, who don't like the idea of um, a mm-hmm. ban of any kind. What struck me actually is that the story was not. It, they wanted the government wanted to focus very heavily on on criminal justice because that's you know a good route to um, electoral success or hanging on to some of their mm. their core voters. And what it's kind of been upended by is this row with Suella Braverman over you know whether or not there should be a crackdown on homeless people being able to buy tents and whether it's a lifestyle choice. <laughs> so it's yeah. kind of it's almost like the Home Secretary is trying to outflank the Prime Minister on the right, and that's it's. You know, the Downing Street was kind of forced to clarify that that's not it's not clear at this point whether that is actually going to be in any of the measures. But that's kind of made all of the headlines and sort of put a bit of fly in the ointment for the prime minister as he's tried to kind of have yet another moment of reset. We heard the Home Secretary say that she wants to make it a civil offence for charities to give tents to rough sleepers. That didn't appear in the actual speech and it seems to have been that she was freelancing and they're trying to figure out a way of getting around uh, that kind of thing. But I I mean, it just shows you that a lot of what's announced is political posturing. So, you know, we've had this idea for a plan for motorists to ban ULEZs and 20 mile per hour zones. That didn't turn up in the speech. Banning trans women from women-only wards in NHS hospitals didn't turn up, but that was something that was talked about around conference time. Um, And yeah, this ban on tents, I mean, it shows you how much ministers say that actually doesn't end up being in legislation. Although, having said that, 
you can introduce any legislation you want. It doesn't have to be in the King's speech. Yeah. And about having watched lots of, you know, Queen's speeches <laughs> yeah. before um, before before yesterday, this was very, very, very thin, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just in, t- in terms of the level of the number of bills, the, the length in which the monarch spoke. This is a very thin King's speech and... I think it'll kind of raise more and more questions about the date of the election more than it will about what there is to do mm-hmm. because it raises questions about how much there is not to do, how much, they don't <laughs> have, how much they don't have. Yeah, I think this was one of three main events that the government saw as an opportunity to reset its narrative with the public. We had the conference speech, we had this, and then we've got the autumn statement in two weeks' time. What that meant is that the government had to impose some sort of coherence on its message to uh, voters. It failed to do that at a conference, as we discussed at the time. It was basically a mishmash of Rishi Sunak's personal priorities and also his party's uh, priorities, and it reflected with all the different factions uh, within the party. This was similar, but it was just much thinner. There There wasn't actually that much that reflected the core problems that the country is currently facing. There wasn't much on low investment. There wasn't much on economic growth. There wasn't much on um, immigration. We didn't even hear that much about technology and science and investment. So we had something on driverless cars and the fact that the government is going to now implement the Law Commission's review into how we set up a legal framework for driverless cars. But that's the... That's the flagship policy that we're supposed to be seeing the government take to the country for the next year or so. It was utterly remarkable that it was so incoherent. That was his task to say, this is what we are. This is why we're different from the opposition. And this is how I'm going to keep my MPs on board. And he didn't fulfill any of those objectives. Driverless car is also like a very funny metaphor for, for, yeah. for, where, for where we feel, for where the Labour Party would like to say, where the government is at the moment. It's extremely short term. I mean, the minimum service legislation that was already passed, yeah. but they were basically briefing this out as part of the King's speech, even yeah. though it doesn't actually feature in the King's speech itself. They're billing that as the saviour for this Christmas. As if this Christmas is the focus of politics right now. They've they've failed, I think, in the past month or so to set out a vision for how the country should look in five years' time. And this just allows Keir Starmer to stand up and say, OK, well, we've got a plan for growth. Rishi Sunak just stands up and says, well, this is going to involve borrowing. But that's it. That's the end of the debate. You can't say, look, this is my alternative. This mm-hmm. is how we're going to grow the economy. We're going to get some announcement on pension reform, uh, probably in the autumn statement, uh, about encouraging pension uh, funds to invest in UK companies. Okay, great, fine. But that's not going to be the centrepiece of the campaign to win the next election. They've argued Birdie had that moment when he had them yeah. sitting rolling back on net zero. That's that's going to be the big dividing line, it seems, coming up to the election, as in the government wants to roll back on some of those commitments in order to help people with the cost of living crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and Labour would like to see its net zero policy, its green agenda as the growth agenda and an answer to some of the cost of living yeah. questions. Yeah, but even then we didn't sort of see that much of this 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 dividing line. The motorist charter or whatever they were going to come up with didn't didn't feature. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if this was supposed to be an act of political messaging, I don't think it even worked on, on that level either. Mm. Um, obviously, sort of longer sentences for the worst criminals. This is something that is always popular with the public. But of course, it comes coupled with the fact that they are going to be, you know, not, not petty criminals are not going to be serving short sentences anymore. And actually, they've been releasing low level criminals early because the prisons are so full. So it does come coupled with some uh, reforms to, to to the criminal justice system, even if they've been kind of forced by necessity. Yeah, this is one of the problems. They wanted crime and law and order to be absolutely central to the King's speech. But as we saw with immigration, all they're doing is drawing attention to the fact that they've 
overseen the collapse of the prisoner state in the past 13 years. There are only 557 places left within the prisoner state for criminals. So they, as you say, Anoush, they've basically said they're going to uh, not or have a presumption that uh, people who are given 12-month sentences are only given suspended sentences. And then at the same time, they say they want rapists and murderers to serve their full life sentences. So it's an incoherent message yet again. You've yeah. got a really liberal policy on one side and then you've got a very socially conservative policy on the other. One just reflects the immediacy of the problem of the prisoner state. The other reflects what they think they need to say to win over voters. There's a disconnect and a dissonance between reality and the current policy. After the break, we'll be discussing what King Charles didn't say in his speech. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on the New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back after this. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Let's look at some of the things that weren't announced. So, leasehold reform didn't go as far as to include flats. Um, obviously, that would mean a wholesale change of the system. You'd have to move to a common hold or some kind of other alternative system for people who who uh, buy flats in future. So they, they sort of only went halfway on that. The no-fault eviction ban, which has been promised since April 2019, is still, you know, to follow reform of the court system, which, as we've just been talking about, the criminal justice system is on its knees. So it, it seems that those reforms aren't going to be there anytime soon, given they'll need a lot of investment. Um, the conversion therapy ban, this was a big sort of political sort of hot potato for a while. It was actually announced back in 2018, so it's been promised for a long time, obviously made more complicated by the sort of trans rights debate, even within the Conservative Party. It is it is a tense issue, and that's, so that's been dropped from the agenda. Um, what else? I mean, the Mental Health Act was supposed to be being reformed. Um, that is a really old piece of legislation considered very outdated by basically all sides of the political argument. I think it was passed in 83. That's the act by which you can be detained, sectioned. Um, and there, that you know, there's been campaigners long trying to get that changed. That was dropped. And of course, you don't see the usual, you know, things that, that politicians just at this stage in the parliament kind of give up on fixing, like social care and planning. Yeah, all the difficult things which are going to cost money, yeah. they're, they're, they're not in the king's speech, essentially. And I don't think you're going to get massive reams of policy from the opposition either. I think like now basically everything will be pushed down the road until when either both parties rather, all parties um, put together their manifesto for the next election. We're in kind of like a holding position now and yeah. Yeah. that pattern will kind of continue until they're going to go to the country. I think, yeah, one of the problems with the so-called reset this autumn is that it's put so much pressure on the manifesto in the short campaign for the Conservatives to address that polling deficit. Mm. It has to be... I mean, they're leaving it really, really late. Um, if they're not going to try and make any progress or set out their stall right now, how are they going to change that around in, a, say, a six-week campaign? Yeah, and does it suggest that they're sort of saving their best stuff for the autumn statement? Because, after all, that is where you can say that you're changing spending and tax plans and actually have some a little bit more power than using the king as a cipher for, you know, all the legislation that you haven't managed to pass in the previous session. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's been lots of headlines on there in the last um, couple of weeks about how much fiscal headroom... Um, Jeremy Hunt might end up with so right. what, what, how much money he's got to play with whether he might be able to 
you know, dish out a tax cut. But um, there's uh, there's also going to be you know another another such moment before the next election. So mm. is he going to save it until close to the time when he's got a bit more of a you know blank slate with which on he can he can put it? He's got a reshuffle coming up potentially, which we're told maybe um, you know before the end of this year. So. Might you might you want to sort those problems before having a good headline for what they're doing with the economy? So this might be Jeremy Hunt's last uh, fiscal event, yeah. as they call them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but potentially. I mean, that's that's certainly been briefed, but um, you know, has has appeared rather in reports. Um, mm-hmm. The key thing with the autumn statement and with the King's speech was, as as I said, you know, putting Labour on the back foot, but also keeping his own side um, on board. I don't think that necessarily happened this time. There was nothing necessarily that you saw uh, Tory MPs get really excited about. Um, and this this will be a problem, I think, in part just because everyone in the House of Commons yesterday looked so lacklustre. Right. There was, I think, a failure from Rishi Sunak to even convince himself that this was a coherent plan for the country. Normally he's got this sort of tetchy, combative, uh, quite belligerent uh, defensiveness about him. I didn't see that at all yesterday. I'm not sure about you, Rich, what you thought. I mean, I, he didn't seem to have that self-conviction that, that he has had, uh, I think, in the past. Uh, it just seems as well in the messaging and in the bills that he's retreating back into uh, what he personally likes. Uh, that's why he was so excited to speak to Elon Musk and to set out this AI uh, framework that he, as he did last week, and then when you get down to the nitty gritty of uh, the economy, social care, NHS, there's there's a lot less there in part because that takes years, parliaments, five years, ten years to actually bring about. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a recognition perhaps that they don't have that time. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to submit a question for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can do so at newstatesmovecom forward slash you ask us. If you're listening on Spotify, just scroll down on the episode page and type your reply. Or if you're watching on YouTube, just leave a question in the comments. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes. We'll be back tomorrow.